In the biblical account of creation, there's no room for evolution. We find this to be true in science as well as natural laws back up scripture. What are these laws and how are they applied? Stay tuned. The basic law of science goes downhill. It seems to me that evolution is just against the law, the basic law of science. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. Evolution is an impossible feat, going against the basic laws of nature. These scientific laws are stable, were made by God, and were put into motion in the beginning. But do they testify of a recent creation? Stay with us for the next 15 minutes as we discuss some basic laws of nature, how they work, and how they testify to creation, not evolution. ICR adjunct professor of physics, Dr. Donald DeYoung, says the laws of nature are very different from judicial laws that can be changed. Thousands of laws have been written by authorities to protect society. When we break one of these laws, such as speeding on the highway, a fine or a penalty must be paid. Now, there's another category of laws, however, which cannot be broken even if you try. These are the laws that we find in nature. One example is the law of gravity. It describes the downward pull on each of us holding us on the ground. We may experience temporary weightlessness, maybe on a roller coaster ride. Gravity is still present, however, and soon takes over again. The most basic laws that we see in science are those dealing with energy. ICR geophysicist Dr. John Baumgartner tells us about the first law of thermodynamics. Some important laws, some important principles that are the ones built into matter are the laws of thermodynamics. Many people have heard of the second law of thermodynamics, but the first law is just as important. And the first law is simply the conservation of energy that whenever there is some process that unfolds, that energy is not created or destroyed. Of course, God had to create the energy in the first place, but it appears that once that creation occurred, that in normal operation of the physical laws since that point, there is no new energy created, neither is there any destroyed. So the first law of thermodynamics is simply a statement of that fact that energy is conserved. That's the first law. Dr. DeYoung explained that although energy can neither be created nor destroyed, it can be transformed. Now, it is possible to convert energy to different forms. When we burn a log, its stored chemical energy becomes ash, heat, sound, and light. And if we add up all the energy of these resulting components, it will equal exactly the initial energy within the log. This constant energy law is established and upheld by the Creator. During the creation week, God added new energy to the physical universe from His infinite supply. Psalm 33 verse 9 describes the beginnings of the heavens and the earth. God spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. At the end of the creation week, all things were complete and described as very good. At this time, God ceased his input of energy and established the conservation rule. It's important to note that although the first law of thermodynamics or any other natural law cannot be broken by man, God is still in control of his creation and can adjust the laws according to his will. Now, from time to time, God has laid this law aside. For example, when 
biblical miracles are performed. Only the one who established the energy law is able to temporarily set it aside for his own purposes. The first law of thermodynamics dictates that no new energy can be created and no energy can be destroyed. But what about the second law of thermodynamics? Dr. DeYoung explains how this law of nature is responsible for the loss of energy and the breaking down of all matter. There's one other fundamental law of nature called the second law of thermodynamics. It describes the difficult challenge of working with energy. Total energy amounts are constant, but our available supply of energy is becoming diluted or unavailable. When we burn a log, the resulting heat escapes into the air and into space, and we cannot get it back. When we consume gasoline in our cars, most of that resulting energy is lost as heat. The heat leaves the car as exhaust and also radiates away from a hot engine. All the heat energy we generate for our homes in wintertime eventually escapes to the outdoors. This second basic energy law is an expression of the gradual energy loss. The law further describes the wearing down or the aging of all things. Ultimately, death itself is an expression of the second law of thermodynamics. It may seem odd that in God's very good creation, a law would be set in place that mandates the deterioration of all matter. But as Dr. Baumgartner explains, this law is very important for our day-to-day -day existence. Some people only think of the second law of thermodynamics as being something bad, but it's very necessary for, I would say, almost everything working in an orderly way at least according to the laws of nature that we currently have. For example, the digestion of food, basic respiration in the body, all of these processes operate the way they do, operate successfully because of this second law of thermodynamics. We know from Scripture that many things changed after the fall of man. Dr. DeYoung suggests that the second law of thermodynamics may have been adjusted during this time. The second law expresses the inefficiency of working with energy and the gradual deterioration of all things. It's a less friendly law and appears to be related to the curse as described in Genesis chapter 3. In some way, components of the second law were initiated or intensified at the time of the curse or the fall of mankind. In Genesis 3, we read that when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, there were severe penalties. Working with the soil and labor in general became more difficult. Thorns and thistles began to grow across the earth. Pain became associated with childbirth. Far greater than all these, however, there resulted a separation of mankind from God. ICR President Dr. John Morris says that the basic laws of nature disagree with the evolutionary belief that things evolve from lower life forms into higher, more sophisticated organisms. An example of the conflict between the well-established laws of science and non-proven evolutionary theory is the second law of thermodynamics. Dr. Morris tells us that the evolutionary idea of chaos to order is scientifically impossible and never happened order from disorder. Over time, according to evolution, that initial Big Bang product, the, the helium and hydrogen gases 
coalesce to form galaxies and stars and, and then into planets and people. I mean, talk about an increase in order. This is a violation of the second basic law of science. The second law says that in any process, as the process goes on, there's a net decrease in the order, in the information, in the integration of it all. It, it goes downhill. Evolution goes uphill, but the basic law of science goes downhill. It seems to me that evolution is just against the law, the basic law of science. The second law of thermodynamics also shows that the Earth is indeed young and not millions or billions of years old as evolutionists assume it to be. It's interesting when you put these basic laws of science into a larger context. We see that everything is going downhill. We're, we have friction loss. We have the sun is burning out. Everything is going downhill. And yet there's still plenty of energy in the universe. To me, that just proves that it can't be infinitely old because it's not all the way down to the bottom of the hill yet. There's still plenty of energy left. It, it appears that the basic law of science points to a recent creation, a recent winding up of the universe, putting energy into it, which is now decreasing. Another basic law of nature that refutes evolutionary logic pertains to the origin of life. One law that has never been seen to be violated is that life comes from life. Spontaneous generation was disproved several generations ago. You just can't put out oily rags and expect them to produce mice. I mean, everybody used to think that, but that has been disproved. Life comes only from life. And yet evolution says that at least one time in history, life sprung from non-living chemicals just spontaneously. Well, spontaneous generation is against the law. Evolution, once again, is against the law. Dr. DeYoung agrees that life only comes from life and says it's also true that life can only be reproduced after its own kind. Another law of nature comes from the biology world and is called the law of biogenesis. It states that living things always arise from similar life. There have been centuries of laboratory efforts to produce the spark of life from non-living materials. Every attempt has failed. Our experience shows that mice come from mice and people from people. This guiding rule for all living things goes all the way back to the creation week. So we can easily see how these laws of nature support the truth of creation. Dr. Morris says it's important to realize who the Creator is behind these laws and to acknowledge Him as God and Savior. The point we can learn from all of this is that natural processes will never produce order, will never produce life, or certainly not human life. Natural processes can't do it. Supernatural processes are needed. Well, if natural processes didn't do it and supernatural processes are needed, that means that there's a supernatural. And the question we must ask then is, who is that supernatural? Who is that intelligence behind the design? And how can I know him? Well, that, of course, is the God of the Bible. And we know him through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and as revealed in Scripture. And best of all, the Bible says that we can even know this creator personally. He has revealed himself in his Son and in Scripture and through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we can have eternal life and a meaningful life and a relationship with the Creator. We can know Him personally. Dr. DeYoung agrees and says when we know the Creator as our own Savior, we not only have abundant life here on earth, but we also look forward to the day when natural laws will no longer negatively affect us. In a future day, according to Revelation chapter 22, verse 3, there shall be no more curse. 
Those who are on the Lord's side then will experience the joy of the original perfect creation. This gospel story is clearly explained in the Bible. It offers hope to everyone who places their trust in the Lord Jesus, who was, after all, our creator. And Dr. Baumgartner says when God recreates this perfect place for us, everything will be different from the way it is now. The scripture indicates that God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, that this present universe, this present creation is going to be destroyed, be burned up, and that he's going to create a new world, a new heavens and a new earth. So one might speculate that he might institute a different set of laws in that new creation. My suspicion is that he will, actually. But again, I'm not aware of any definitive indication in Scripture that would prove that, but I wouldn't be surprised. As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in. 